Recently, uh, Peter Drucker, the management guru, was speaking to a group of uh, pastors about the church, and he made this comment that I think he's absolutely correct when he said, about 20 years ago, people came to church out of conformity. Today, if you're here at all, you're, out of, uh, you're coming out of commitment. When you come out of conformity, very few things happen, and this explains why we had everybody in church in the 50s and so little impact on the world. But today, if you're here at 8 o'clock in the morning, you must be come, coming to seek something more than trying to please your neighbor that you're impressing them you're going to church. And I feel as a pastor and as a session and as a church, we owe you a definition of um, what we're about. What is our agenda for you if you come to this church? And I want to tell you that um, I think it's very clear. If you come seeking and you know you're not a Christian, our agenda is to try to introduce you to Jesus Christ and, and lead you to become a believer. And if you're a believer, our biblical responsibility is to lead you to become a disciple, someone equipped to do the work of Jesus in that spot in the world where you are. And this church will try to provide many opportunities, a whole smorgasbord full, where you can grow as a disciple of Jesus. The point is, we can't make you believe, and we can't make you become a disciple. We can only invite you. I think some exciting things are happening. I had lunch recently with a gentleman. He said he was reading the book Halftime, and he got hit right between the eyes in terms of his life. He had been chasing success, and he's extremely successful. And he said, you reach the top of the ladder, and it's not enough. He's just made a big decision. He's withdrawing from his board and his company up at Sand Hill in terms of a major role, and he is teaching a small group in our high school ministry here in the middle 50s saying, that has significance. And as a Christian, I want significance. I'm not satisfied with chasing success as measured by our culture. Now, few of us have the financial freedom to go and make such a decision. But most of us, if we're believers, at least want our lives to be significant for God. We get an itch sometime, at least asking ourselves, what am I doing? Am I marking time or am I making progress as a Christian to become all that God wants me to be? I only have one life. What am I doing with it? Today's text reminds us that we are very significant to God. Did you know that before you were born, God designed a unique destiny for you? I wonder if you believe that. Our text reminds us that God chose Jeremiah before he was born to perform a work for him in very critical times. And as one man, he was used of God to attempt to preserve a dying society. Every sensitive Christian is concerned about what's happening in our times. Most of us would like to play a part in God's plan for healing and touching and changing the direction of America. <clears throat> With that thought, I, I want to to look together at this text today. Think about it. It's implied here that God designed a destiny for us before we were born. That's the first truth that I find electric. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I sanctified you. Before you were born, God chose you to be something and to do something. <clears throat> We act that out constantly here. If you remember last week, we baptized 29 babies. 
Here parents were holding a brand new child, bringing them to God in baptism or dedication, saying, we believe God acted in grace to put that child in our life. We believe God has a plan for our boy, our girl, and we are here giving it to God. Do you believe that same thing for yourself? The psalmist puts it this way, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If you're still here this morning in a pew, God has a purpose for you. I find it stimulating that many now in our church are seeking something more than the peninsula virus of wanting to be successful. Many Christians are being touched by the Holy Spirit to say, I want my life to be significant for God. That's 10,000 times more important. Following the model of Jeremiah, making ourselves available for God to use is a road to the greater significance we seek. You know, this summer I was thinking about our church's massive effort, and it is massive, to provide worship services the very best we possibly can give you. We give classes of every possible variety. We plan prayer meetings. We do training sessions. If you come to this church, it's an awesome responsibility, really, because you'll never be able to say to God, I at least didn't have an opportunity to grow as a disciple. We, it's just coming out of the walls, opportunities seven days a week for us to grow. But I had to ask myself, is all the effort we're doing as a church making disciples of Jesus? Not believers. Many of us claim to be believers, and we are. But are we growing into useful human beings for Jesus Christ? Are we getting equipped to do his work, kingdom work, in today's needy world? That, to me, is the real test of the value of our church to God. Are we producing people? In fact, are you a person now who, because of attending here and growing here, are you becoming a disciple where you're impacting business practices in Silicon Valley because that's where God has you and you're a catalyst for Him right where He's put you? Are, are you getting a a drive to touch both sides of the freeway with the caring love of Jesus Christ, or are we building higher walls to protect our houses from an increasingly hostile world? Is there healing and sustaining power in your marriage and in your other relationships when we're in a society where it's sort of a throwaway thing, if it's no longer fun, I just bail out? This is an interesting one. I just got a fax from a guy yesterday who's becoming, uh, coming to our Saturday morning Bible study, and he sends them to me regularly so I can sort of chart his growth. And now he's joined a small group. He's passed from asking a lot of questions to being in a small group. But you know, now what he's most concerned about, he was saying, you know, I've heard our attendance is kind of level at Menlo Park. And I guess people feel that because of parking and other things, we shouldn't be attracting anymore. But how is that possible as long as there's anybody out there who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And I had to ask myself, particularly for 8 o'clock that we've been trying to fill this place for, gosh, 15 years, uh, have you invited anybody to join you at 8 o'clock? Is there another morning person out there who might want to come and find out what you're finding here, who are living and dying without Jesus? Those are big questions if we take seriously this thing called Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. George Gallup Jr. claims, and I think this is awesome, 
84% of all Christians never get beyond the initial step of being a believer in Jesus. And you know, as a pastor hanging around a church for over 20 years, that gives me nightmares. If I retire and all we've done is recruit a big church of believers, basically who are infants in Christ, it's like we have a church that's a huge nursery of babies who never grow up. And that must say something about me as a pastor. And I have this yearning because I believe this is where the Holy Spirit is driving us to say, I've, God speaking, I've given you everything. This church is blessed like few churches in America. We have opportunities to grow. And are we going to take advantage and grow to be disciples? Or are we going to just grab the assurance that we have life insurance after death of going to heaven? Are we going to want the comforts of Jesus? But are we going to be like the 84% in America who do absolutely nothing in terms of impacting this country for Jesus Christ? That leads us to a second truth. By the way, I should have told you, when you get into Jeremiah, this isn't comfortable preaching. This isn't the kind of tape you buy. Um, this isn't what you come to church for if you're hurting. But you know, it's going to hurt a lot more if we appear before Jesus Christ as an infant. And he was telling us, as he told in that parable, you know, when the people came before him and he asked what you did with the talents. And one guy said, well, I invested and got five more. But this one guy said, you know, God, I just was sort of really careful and cautious. And I put my one talent in the ground. Now here you are. You know what God did with that person? He was very upset. And as a responsible pastor, I don't want you to have to appear before God as a believer, but not as a disciple. And I don't want to appear before him as a pastor who led a church of believers and not disciples. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I think it does. And that leads us then to the second truth. God has a specific ministry for you at any stage in life if you want it and are willing to pay the price. Listen to this. God told Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah was called to preach. What are you called to do? Each of you have a spot of ministry. You're somewhere tomorrow morning. Is there any connection between where you are tomorrow morning and this church and Jesus Christ in your Christian faith? Are you doing anything differently in the spot where you are that you wouldn't do if you weren't a Christian? I think if we were honest, <clears throat> many of us would say there's really not much difference of what I'm doing and where I am tomorrow morning, whether I'm a Christian or not. And if that's the case, we need to change that. Because God says, I ordained you before you were born to put you where you are in that spot in the world because I want you to be my catalyst for healing and for change in a world that's very decadent, that's in a social meltdown. For Jeremiah, he accepted God's call to speak a truth to a culture that had all, lost all reverence for human life, that had rejected God's laws as authoritative for human behavior. Sin was rampant. Jeremiah easily could have said, God, what can I do? Nobody wants to hear about you. One writer claims Judah had lost every trace of their ordination to be God's holy people. And it's a no-brainer to affirm our society is similar. I was so distressed last week by the Furman tapes of the O.J. Simpson trial to realize this is just one more example of hatred and racism and, and violence in terms of things that pull our society apart. And you almost want to throw up your hands Paul the Apostle, writing about the last time, says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Brothers and sisters, wringing our hands in despair about how bad these things are accomplishes absolutely nothing. But as disciples of Jesus, we can do two things at least. I can't change the world. I can't even change this church. But you and I, in the spot where we are, we can live a straight life in a crooked world. We can swim against the stream of society and we can say, at least as a committee of one, because I'm a disciple, I will be a light in the spot where I am. I won't join the crowd and just disappear into the woodwork. I think secondly, we can do the work of caring wherever we are. And this is so important. Gordon MacDonald said last week, I think it was, the world doesn't give a rip to hear anything about what Christians are saying or about our church or about Jesus. But the one thing they can't resist is when we reach out with Christ's caring love. The other night I was called here to the church to meet with a woman who had just experienced the sudden death of her son. And when I arrived over there in social hall, a group of Christians from a small group, she had kind of walked into the church and they ceased their meeting and they were kind of surrounding her. And as we progressed to comfort her and she was in despair, one of the ladies said, you can't be a, a, alone tonight, I'll stay with you. She went over and stayed with her all night and then followed through in terms of caring for her. And you know, I thought at that point, this is the work of Jesus. This is passing from being a believer to being a disciple. And it's in those small groups that believers were finding the support necessary, not only to live a, an increasingly moral life in an immoral world, but to find the motivation to go out and care in the name of Jesus. And that's what disciples do. And that's the difference we can make. And it may not change the world, but it'll change our little world. And when enough Christians change their little world, we'll change the big one. I need to tell you, becoming disciples of Jesus is costly. It will mean inconvenience and self-discipline and self-denial and criticism and the risk of being misunderstood. But you know, the rewards are fantastic. Rewards far greater than what you find if you chase everything this society offers and you reach the success that many seek and you find that it's empty. Now, if taking that next step on your spiritual journey is your desire, I can give you two guarantees. First of all, that if you take a step, God will then come with his resources and give you supernatural ability to fulfill that step because you and I both know we've tried before, fallen on our face, we fail, we can't do it. We can't really change. And then he will send you someone to care for in the name of Christ if you really want someone. I think that's exciting, but it's also costly. When you act, either to take a new step toward Christ-likeness or to care in his name, Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, will respond. And it may be hard, it will be hard, but you know what you'll start feeling? My life is significant. And I'm not just warming a pew on Sunday, I'm applying what I'm learning about Jesus there out in the world where I am, and that's what God wants me to do. It's how he wants me to use my life. And this leads us to a final truth in the text. God isn't interested in our excuses for not growing up, for not being available. 
When Jeremiah heard God's call, he had second thoughts and he said, behold, I can't speak, I'm only a youth. I wonder what your excuse is today. I'm too old, I'm too burnt out, I'm too busy, I'm too occupied with my family. Um, I don't know what your excuse is, but this text says God really isn't interested in hearing it. Of course it's difficult to believe we can take step, steps to greater holiness. It's difficult to break with our agendas of self. And if you want to know some of the pressure on me, I could ask myself after 22 years, what real change will happen in that congregation that hasn't happened already? And I have to believe a huge change will come or why in the world would God keep our doors open? He isn't finished with any of us yet. He certainly isn't finished with this preacher yet. And the good news is when we stop making excuses and we take some steps of faith to take that next step in our spiritual journey, the promise God made to Jeremiah will become a promise to us. He said, I am with you to deliver you. And you know, that's all we need to know. God promised to make Jeremiah a fortified city, a pillar of bronze, metaphors giving assurance that when we make ourselves available, God's infinite resources will supplement our own inadequate gifts. You are inadequate. You can't change. You can't care, and neither can I. But when God invades our lives through his spirit, we become supernatural human beings, that new breed of being called a Christian. And that's what makes the world out there perk up and listen not our doctrine and not the fact you attend church. They could care less. When we consider the temptation to do evil in today's world, when we look at the depth of human need, we will feel overwhelmed. I've, I'm overwhelmed just when I look at Drager's or over at the shopping center and see these homeless people. I don't know what to do with them. And yet the issue is not what we can do, but what God can do through us if we're available. God doesn't call us to do impossible tasks because we're qualified. God chooses us so he can qualify us. And then he gets the glory, not us. Listen to the promise from Jeremiah. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail. And I believe every force of the devil himself is going to fight in this service against making us believe we, can really, we can't really do anything new this year. The, the pastor is trying to hype us up, but it's going to be the same. Don't you believe it? Jeremiah was invincible even though inwardly he was filled with feelings of inadequacy. There was enormous pressure on him to change, to quit, not to try, to hide, but he refused because he believed when God told him, I'll make you a bronze wall. I'll fortify you with supernatural resources. Meeting with some deacons the other night, they agreed their jobs of caring seemed overwhelming at first. But then they said, you know, we just did it. And when we took that step and reached out to care, we found God was there with us and it became something he did and we felt his power. To overcome our tendency to make excuses means this year we must begin to recklessly trust God and dare to swim upstream against the mindset of a culture that would make us follow our own selfish agendas. To put me first and to forget everybody else, and to, and to despair that society is going to do anything except become worse. That's what the devil wants us to believe. George Bernard Shaw wrote the following, which seems so relevant. This is the true joy in life. 
The being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish, little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion, and I love this, that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it's my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. Isn't that beautiful? Our society is trying to say, save yourself. For what? Jesus would say, get thoroughly used up before you die. For the harder I work, the more I live. Life is sort of a splendid torch which I've got hold of for the moment and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. That's what I want our church to be noted for. People who want to be thoroughly used up for Jesus Christ and at that point we find significance and we find joy, we find life. Remember how God challenged Jeremiah? Life's difficult, Jeremiah. Are you going to live cautiously or are you going to live courageously? Easier is not better, folks. God calls us to a life of significance far beyond what we think we're capable of living. And he promises to provide the resources to fulfill that destiny. But we have to take the step. And therefore, I want to give you some challenges so you can tell a neighbor what MPPC is all about. This year, if you are a seeker, I want you, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to leap over that fence of ba or that barrier and become a believer. Become a Christian, because everything else I've said is nonsense until you're reborn. If you're a believer, I want you to become a disciple, and we do that by joining a small group. I have watched the people who fade away from this church are basically those who do not get connected. You need a small group if you're going to live a holy life and if you're going to find the motivation to care in the name of Jesus. You cannot do it alone. And then a growing conviction on mine, I'd love some of you to join a prayer ministry with us. Your personal ministry and the ministry of this church depends on prayer. I have never felt more dependent on prayer than I felt this week, coming back to preach this weekend. But I had people praying for me Friday night, Saturday morning, last night. And then we have a Thursday morning prayer group that myself and uh, Charlie Campbell leads. If you want a spiritual discipline, come out Thursday morning. We spend one hour praying just for this church. That's where the power is. And we need it. And then finally, I hope this year you're going to find a hands-on ministry where you can get beyond self and have the thrill of touching another with the love of Jesus Christ, whatever form that would take for you. Monica Sellis, the tennis pro who was stabbed, returned to compete at the U.S. Open yesterday. She said, everything changed so much for me after the stabbing in Hamburg. I looked at tennis differently, my whole life differently. I saw how you can find the right balance between the two. And I realized the person's happiness should not depend on tennis. This is the transformation we're trying to talk about this morning, where we seek 
a balance between doing the world's business, which we must do, and doing the kingdom business, which as Christian disciples we're called to do. This year, we want you to take a step toward finding a balance between doing your worldly stuff and the work of Jesus Christ. If we do that, we will become an effective light in this community and in the Bay Area for Jesus Christ. And above all, if you do it, you're going to look back on your life and rather than being frustrated with the poor, deficient rewards of success, you're going to feel exhilarated by feeling your life was significant, not only for time, but for eternity. I think that's a worthy deal offered by Jeremiah. I hope it convicts our hearts and makes a difference. To God's name be the glory. Amen.